Robert England here, a.k.a. Freddy Krueger. This is Burning for Springwood. Hello, folks, and welcome to another episode of Burning for Springwood, a Freddy's Nightmares retrospective. I am one of your hosts, Gary Hill. With me tonight is Mr. Mike Merriman. How you doing, sir? Well, I can tell you what I'm. I'm burning, regardless of Springwood, out here in the California summer. But uh, doing well, doing well. Just uh, had a week of vacation off of work. So um, I'm just getting back into my regular routine again, but uh, it's time to make up for some lost podcasting time. So uh, Burning for Springwood is first up. Nice, nice, nice. Also with us tonight, 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 that's nice. Uh, Suzanne is here. How are you? Oh, dealing with fence foes, but definitely into doing this episode tonight. Cool. Yeah. We're going to get this going on. I'd like to say uh, a big thanks to, to the big man himself for uh, giving us a sound clip that you heard within the theme music uh, before this. So thanks, Bob. You're the man. Uh, <laughs> keep on burning, sir. You're amazing. Uh, yeah, who, put, who put that together? Uh, X, X, uh, he made the original uh, mix for that. Then he mixed that in with uh, the theme music, which I thought turned out pretty great. So Yeah, it was awesome. Oh my gosh! But yeah, that having a flashback weekend. Uh, maybe, it'll, maybe it'll spark X to want to come on here and talk a couple episodes in the future. Oh, I'm sure it's not out of the question because uh, <laughs> I'll call in on one of these days to do it. <laughs> um, yeah, flashback weekend was a thing, and uh, Robert Ingram is always good to the kids, and he's good to us this time around. So that's uh, well, good to good to me every time. He's just a genuine nice guy, so. Thanks again for that. I know you're not listening, but you know, I know deep down inside you're thinking about it, so there you go. Uh, tonight, we're going to talk about two episodes, episodes 9 and 10 of the first season. Uh, first one's called Rebel Without a Car. Alex was a rebel without a car. What is it? Freedom. What will this dream machine be, his ticket out of Springwood? His car kicks. Please, slow down! Or send him on a highway to hell. This car has a history, you know. So it's a death car. Only Freddy knows for sure. I! This baby comes with my guarantee. On the next Nightmare on Elm Street, Freddy's Nightmares. Dreams. And it is uh, directed by a guy named John Lafia, who is a television writer first and foremost, but then he uh, he got into some films. He he was one of the writers on the first Child's Play, directed the second Child's Play, written and directed, wrote and directed uh, Man's Best Friend, God bless you, sir, uh, for that. Love it so much. Um, yeah, and um, interestingly enough, the, the writer of this one is Christopher Trumbo, who is, uh, the name sounds familiar, his father was Dalton Trumbo, who um, was on the notorious blacklisted uh, writers of in Hollywood way back in the day, and yeah, if you've seen the movie with Brian Cranston, it's actually pretty good. Actually, I like that movie a lot. Uh, you could learn all about Mr. Trumbo's f- father and uh, all the all the things he gave to us. And this um, this guy here, he he did some television as well. Worked with his father actually on Falcon Crest, Ironside, Quincy, and. Uh, there's, there's, those are some pretty, pretty big hitters, and um, let's get right into this. Actually, your cheapo wiki plot synopsis is: Alex finds an abandoned muscle car to be his ticket out of Springwood. Instead, he keeps envisioning the fate of the previous owner. And then the second part is: his lady friend Connie is determined to become belong to belong to a sorority, but the initiation process puts her through her own private hell. So the girlfriend is the through line to the second part of the episode, which I think is better than the first part of the episode. But I, I, my opinion doesn't matter when it comes down to it. Suzanne, what do you think of the episode Rebel Without a Car? 
I have to admit, I think this was one of the most well put together episodes that I've watched so far. Yeah, we got spoiled in this episode, guys, by the way. Spoilers, the next one's pretty good, too, as far as that goes. Yeah, this one, I I really liked it. I liked the story of the gearhead guy who just wanted to have a muscle car. I knew a lot of gearheads growing up, so I kind of, I totally understand that mindset. And his girlfriend, who just wanted to go to college and, you know, better her life, totally understand that. But then he bumps into this car that has a basically a James Dean death car pass to it, which I mean, I really wish they would have elaborated on that just just a touch more other than having that really bad makeup dude in the rear view <laughs> in the backseat. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that was terrible. And the gearhead, the the opposing gearheads. Do you know how many dudes I know had hair like that? And believe me, the last thing they wanted to deal with was a car. They were playing in a band trying to get laid. They're looking for that 10-second car, you know, like Paul Walker <laughs> was, but, you know. Well, I was going to say, the, the school the school bully is like someone from Anthrax or something. <laughs> a, band, a thrash band. <laughs> oh, man, yeah, the, the freaking the ghost or the... The ghost of the car owner's past looked like a damn Geico caveman. <laughs> Either that or someone from Land of the Lost, the original one. When I first saw him, I was like, I love Burnt Hobo. He's amazing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Continue, Suzanne. I'm sorry. Oh, no, 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 no. It's okay. And, you know, it's once again, they they pretty much projected the episode. He's getting this death car. And, of course, after a an accident in the garage, he dies. Are you shocked? No. I certainly wasn't. Nope. He's looking for that ticket, then, that, that ticket out of Springwood, girl. Come on now. Oh, yeah. And then we slide into the second part where this girl is, her, his girlfriend, still kind of mourning his loss, is in university and uh, trying to fit in. But, I mean, I don't know. It, I've, I've, the whole wrong side of the tracks thing, since she was basically a townie, tries to join a high-end sorority, and they basically turn her after they've made fun of her. Okay, this is one of those things I don't like watching in movies, where someone is being very condescending and rude, and the person is sitting there and they don't even realize it. I was really hoping she would start talking a little smack back. <laughs> That just irritates me. I'm sorry. I, 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 I love how obvious it was for one thing. Because like, yeah, by the way, you're fucking poor. Do you get it? Come on. Yeah. Now, plus, you know. plus the two sorority sisters behind her laughing after everything she says. I know they were some butt ugly bitches too. Am I wrong? Of course, you had the fat one who <laughs> just eats all the time. Come on now. It's, it's, it's... Oh yeah. And the other one with the with the short, close cropped hair. Mm-hmm. Oh, you knew she was eating pussy. Sorry. Well, the one, the <laughs> one, the, the the fat one of the group, of course. I, I don't call her fat, that, but I'm sure that's what they think of her as the fat friend. It is a homegirl from um, out of the actress's name, but she was the 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 ugly duckling they made pretty in Friday Part Seven. If you remember that girl. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> So she's forever what they call the duff, the the, the designated ugly fat friend. Uh, you know, yeah, I, I, I watch teen movies. Come on, people, you know. Oh God, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, I, I I will agree that I think this episode had one of the better transitions into the second half. Um, as far because they, like we mentioned, the. It's the girlfriend of the guy who dies in the first half in his death car. Uh, the second half kind of picks up with her trying to move on in life. Where like some of the previous episodes, like it would feel like the second half of the episode was just a totally different thing. This one actually, it felt like a good transition. It, it just it felt like it was one, you know, uh, long smooth episode where everything made sense about why it was transitioning to her character. Like they didn't just pick like a random character to feature in the second half. Um, 
But yeah, I thought uh, that this episode was pretty good. And the second half, I thought that, yeah, I agree with uh, Gary. There was like more to it. Um, it was pretty creepy. There were some creepy little dream sequences. That closing shot when she, quote unquote, has finally been accepted to the sorority. I just love that how was... fucking bonkers it was the, th- the second half. That's what I yeah. love about it. Yeah, I mean, that's what a show like this should be. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I, this is probably going to be the only time I ever use this word in connection with the show, but the entire episode was cohesive. Mm-hmm. It oh. flowed perfectly into the second act, and seeing this girl carry on after her boyfriend is dead, and like I said, it, you, you, you know how deep some of those high school romances go. And this apparently was one of those. And she was just doing her best to move forward, do what she really wanted to do, which was go get an education and better herself. And then she's subjected to these condescending sorority bitches. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that, that fucking sorority. <laughs> and I mean, her, her other friend tries to tell her, I stay the hell away from there. They don't want nothing to do with you. But she's kind of determined. She kind of, she kind of has that aspiration where it's like that sorority is going to represent something better in life, even though they're all a bunch of stuck up bitches. Yeah. Well, she thinks it's too. She's looking. She's looking for the prestige of saying this is going to be on my my resume. I guess if she wants a job, that she was in a sorority. I don't think it really <laughs> matters at that point, you know. But. Oh, please, when I would, ever, whenever I had to interview somebody, the second I saw their sorority list, I'm like, yeah, you're not going to get this job. <laughs> no, yeah. Like, I'm sorry, any, yeah, formally, what do you think about this episode, sir? Man, this episode was pretty good. I, I liked, you know, I didn't read the synopsis going into it, um, so I had no idea that it would transition to something else in the second half. But when it did, I was I was fully on board. I kind of found her story more compelling when the the guy in the first half, when when he first runs into the car and gets it, I thought they were going to have like a little Christine type thing going on where the car is haunted. And I guess it kind of is haunted, but just in a different way. It's not the car itself. It just the the previous owners like ghost remains with it and pops up once in a while to scare him um, <laughs> with some horrible makeup. That looks like someone just threw some mud on him or something. Um, it, was, it was definitely a, a, a lackluster effort. <laughs> they, they called that the oatmeal job right there, brothers. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I thought by the time we get to the second half of the episode, it was, it just got better. And by the time it ended, I was pretty pleased. Man, yeah, everything you guys said, but I, I, I gotta talk about some stuff that happens in this episode, you know. The guy in question, Ricky, is, like, the biggest asshole to, like, his, his family and to his girl, and I guess she thinks she can try to change him or something, you know, with her new hoity-toity friends or whatever, which, one of those girls were in, like, a green, like, pleated skirt like it came out of the 60s or something, I don't know what that was about, but... <laughs> I don't know. I'm I'm judging people again, but um, I don't never saw why she'd want to be with him or even like be be like mourning this this asshole who essentially chose this car over her. And is that like? It, I love I love <laughs> when they're pushed into the garage. The dad's like, "You'll never get this heat to run." Bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. But it doesn't look that doesn't look that rusted out or anything to me. It looks pretty fucking clean, you know. Like, I, I don't mm-hmm. know, and the cat's been going nuts now, but that's okay, though. I expected that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, but when he dies, it's like, yeah, you, you don't feel too bad for him because he's kind of a dick to his family and everybody, but Burton Face, uh, previous owner, made things uh, pr- pretty funny to me. Like, you know, you'll never get out of Springwood, yeah. And I, I got to mention that Freddy's little bits in this episode are pretty great. They're okay in the next episode, but they, 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 he lets out some pretty good zingers uh, in between the segments. Yeah, I have to admit, his his bits in this one were much better than previous episodes. Yeah. I, mean, I, I agree. Maybe he's, like, coming into, like, liking what he's doing by the time this one comes out. I, I don't know, but... Or maybe just the paycheck's rolling in. Could he be. didn't... 
That's, mm-hmm. that's sweet syndication money, Sue. That's sweet syndication money. I can't um, blame him. <laughs> um, but the second half, I mentioned that I liked the first half, and I'll, I'll tell you why. It's not necessarily the story, because essentially she's moving on with her life. She she waited a she waited a quarter to, to, to go to college to better herself, but to better herself, she decides to go join the sorority, but she clearly has, you know, friends already, or whatever you want to call it, but she it's essentially comes like a Cinderella story, like they lose their, their housekeeper and cook, so they're gonna go hire this frumpy girl who, that burger place makes an appearance again from that, that, um, It's a Lonely Lifer episode, I think it's like episode, episode two or something we did. Where the guy got shot in the face of the burger joint. That place makes an appearance again. And that figure, I guess she, she's this poor girl. They make sure they say that she's, you know what? We don't accept your kind here, you know, with your possible food stamps and po- possible lower income housing. I, I don't know. They, 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 really, they really lay it on pretty thick that these, she doesn't belong there. But, um, <laughs> when they reach the end of her initiation, um, all of a sudden, it turns into like this bloody revenge plot that I love so much. Because, of course, this is Freddy's nightmare, so this is all fantasy. But <laughs> what happens next is is crazy. I, I don't. I I'm a recommend this episode, so I don't want to give too much away. But she dispatches her bitchy sorority mates in hilarious ways, and I kind of love it so much. Not not quite as much, and I will I will give this away when they have like the house mother over for dinner or something, and. Whatever she stabs that girl in the head with the fork, can't stop laughing. It's it's kind of hilarious. <laughs> very very funny, but um, the ending of course is it ends like a nightmare, and yeah, uh, her fantasy is over. And I I really dug the second part more than the first part because that guy was kind of a dick, and I'm like, yeah, I, I don't feel bad for you if something bad happens to you. Well, well, on the other hand, you feel bad for. Uh, homegirl because she's kind of a good person when it comes down to it and yeah I mean maybe that that could be why the episode was written how it was where she kind of takes over because the dude that we're supposed to kind of be behind uh, with his like uh, mission to get out of Springwood it's like he ends up being a jerk so we don't care that he meets his fate I mean I cared a little bit not that much but I mean I, I kind of get it I mean you're in a shitty small town and you just want out unfortunately you went about it the completely wrong way I mean it, it, yeah we're just going to go to California just pack a bag and we're going to go you mm-hmm. need gas money food money are you sleeping in the car what are your other options because I'm always the literal person these are the things I think about <laughs> Hitching, they can hitch for gas. Yeah, this this guy this guy lives like a Bruce Springsteen song. We you guys hear the train in the background. It kind of makes it kind of feel too. See, that's a <laughs> that's an actual train, people. God damn it! But uh, Mike, uh, I'll put it to you. Anything else you'd like to say about the at the about the film about the episode? And uh, do you give it a fuck the prime time bitch, which is the highest honor? Keep it in the boiler room, which is the the middle middle grade, or flaming piss resurrection as the shitty grade. <laughs> um, I'm gonna give it a fuck the prime time. I think out of everything we've seen so far, this is one of the stronger ones. I think that, uh, like Suzanne said, there's a cohesiveness to the episode that makes sense. Um, there the dream sequences or nightmare sequences are handled pretty well and i think that they actually let the character that you care about the most take over and become the focal point and i think the the way it's written and the stuff going on you actually are kind of sympathizing with her and you're glad that it ends the way it ends to a certain extent suzanne what do you think oh this is definitely keep it on prime time this is so far my favorite episode because everything just worked well. I, this is one of the few that I would say, Hey, don't watch the series, but watch this episode. <laughs> cool. Yeah. It's all around. It's just fuck the prime time, bitch. It's, it's the best, uh, some of the best that you'll see of this series, I think is in this episode. And, uh, I'm, I'm going to leave it at that. Um, and then 
we'll move on to our next episode, which is an episode starring the great uh, genre actress Diane Franklin. It's called The Bride Wore Red. Gavin's about to get married. Every man's worst nightmare. So his friends are throwing him a bachelor party. One last fling. The triumph of male hormones. But will his one night stand? Presenting the stripper from hell. Become a date with death? It's time for our boy to face the music. On the next Nightmare on Elm Street, the series Freddy's Nightmare. Uh, this is, um, <laughs> yeah... It's 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 a lot. It's a good episode, and I I, I dug it a lot. Um, yeah, your plot synopsis is this: Jessica, played by Diane Franklin, is a newlywed, with newlywed, with deep-seated fears of infidelity and divorce, <laughs> brought on by her cheating, domineering father. Spoilers, much? She becomes an avenging angel who seduces and exposes cheating husbands, but the disintegration of her parents' marriage drives her insane. Again, spoilers. Wikipedia. Come on now. <laughs> Suzanne, what did you think of the Bride War Red? Okay, this one, I. Diane Franklin, I absolutely adore her. And this episode was a bit of a mixed bag for me. There were parts I get, you know, knowing your father's a cheating asshole and it kind of rooting deep inside of you when you're about to get married. But I have to admit, the Graham is best, man. They were fucking assholes. They were serious dicks. Hell yeah. Yeah, but it's supposed to be like, yeah. I don't know, part of it's a nightmare, part of it's not a nightmare, so they're meant to be cartoonish? Yeah, I just I just found certain characters in this episode to be so reprehensible that it was really hard for me to enjoy the rest of the episode. That makes any sense. I liked... I liked her little avenging angel thing, you know, luring this guy. I mean, there's there's very little talking points in this episode. And pretty much, thank you, Wikipedia. You've covered the basics. Um, I this one, I, I don't know. Like I said, it was a mixed bag. I love Diane Franklin. I thought she was she did well, but this whole thing just seemed completely. This is another thing that kind of took me out of this episode a little bit. It was overly theatrical. Oh God the the uh, the scene towards the end at the at the family dinner table felt like Days of Our Lives or something. <laughs> oh my God, you're married. You don't live anymore. Who fucking cares? <laughs> but it just it was the, all of the reactions in this were just. A I never, too... I never told your secret. <laughs> it was so over the top. And the other thing, and this is just, well, Gary was the fashion police, and I'm going to be okay. You know, the little girl, did that little girl look like a monkey to you, or was it just me? To me, she kind of looked like the girl from Small Wonder. A little yeah, bit. she just looked kind of like a monkey. I'm mean, like, I thought it was a doll at first. <laughs> and I realized, like, oh, wait, no, that, that's a child. Okay. <laughs> Suzanne hates children. Yeah, it is, you know, it's a... Don't the, hate children. The dad, the dad, kind of reminded me of the professor from or teacher from Friday Eight on the boat. <laughs> oh god! <laughs> like yeah, at first I thought it was him, and then I looked again. I was like, okay, it's not him, but it just kind of resembles him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the guy that wanted uh, weird sexual advances towards that shy girl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like I said, this was, like I said, it was just such a mixed bag. You know, the last episode was so good, and this one was, I guess I was expecting a little bit more, and I don't know why. I mean, I've, I've, I've learned after this many episodes. Yeah, set the bar real low. I, I think this episode's an example of, conceptually, they have some good ideas, but because you're scrunching down the storyline, or the, the running time, the execution kind of leaves you throughout the episode a little confused about like what the hell's actually going on and whatnot. And, uh, you're jumping back and forth so many times between the, uh, main, what's her character's name? Jessica, Jessica and like random people so much that you're like, okay, what the hell's really going on? Are these actual flashbacks? Are these just in her head? And then, I mean, we kind of get the, 
we kind of get the reveal at the end what's going on. But it almost feels like there was no other choice but to do that because how else would you explain everything? <laughs> yeah, it's like they seem like they exhausted every other option. It's like, all right, fine, we'll just end it with this. Mm-hmm. I did like the <laughs> the idea of like, oh, well, we're going to divorce so we each get half of you. And then we're going <laughs> to literally cut her in half. <laughs> oh, I was laughing my ass off at that. Oh, yeah, I was laughing at a lot of this episode just because the the over-dramatization for uh, Freddy's Nightmares episode, like, <laughs> like, come on, guys, you're laying it on a little thick. This is supposed to be fun, and we we don't need As the World Turns <laughs> on our Freddy's Nightmares. And then, like, every dude in this is like, well, I guess besides her fiancé slash husband, like, Every guy is pretty much a scumbag in this episode. <laughs> um, it's just like a matter of which one's worse. I, I mean, I, right off the bat, I, I I had a feeling like something was up with her because, she, like, she when she first is like, oh, do you want to call off the wedding? He's like, no. But then she, like, keeps harping on it. Like, I'm like, okay, do you want to call off the wedding? Because he, <laughs> he keeps devoting himself when you have this conversation and you're the one that seems to be having the cold feet and you just don't want to come out and say, you're almost trying to like talk him into calling it off. Well, there's which, one scene, which I'm, I'm, Oh, I'm sorry if I'm interrupting. Go ahead. Oh, no, no, you're not. You're not. Okay. But I, that just seemed completely out of place to me. And I wasn't sure if it was a flash forward, a flashback or a figment of the imagination she was sitting on the exercise bike. He was ironing. And then he threw what, the dress that he was ironing in the fireplace. <laughs> He's frustrated from the lack of sex in two weeks. You know. was, was that an actual occurrence? Because it then it shows them coming back from the honeymoon and then going to the parents' house. So I have no idea. This was This, to me, seemed like an extraneous, stupid scene. Well, she obviously finally she obviously finally put out Suzanne. So then they decided to go on vacation because of it to celebrate. You know. Well, one of the confusing things is this one of his fears. I'm making jokes here, Suzanne. I'm sorry. Oh, I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm just I just I this scene, like I said, just seemed I, I it just seemed off. Mm-hmm. And it was the one thing that I just couldn't wrap my head around. Is it his deep seated insecurities about being married? Or if it was just there because they had to eat up like three minutes of film time. It, it is all over the place. And I'll, I'll say right now, I'll put my little spiel in here. Because the episode starts out, you know, where he's reluctant to get married. And she's reluctant to marry because you find out later why. But he's having this bachelor party in which he's going to go bed down this, this woman in red that's just called Red. Which the, the title of the episode, I'll, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. The bride wore red because that's not his bride. She never wore red at all in this episode. Maybe the bride sees red, maybe. It would be a more proper title for, for this episode. What was really the point of her character? I don't, I don't know. She's just kind of there as like the, 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 the tempting catalyst that kind of just go, kind of goes away. I it, think it, it, what we're trying to go for with her is she was basically the physical embodiment of both of their years more his obviously it just didn't come to fruition in the end though you think like yeah. in the end she would have showed up again you know when the, the father confessed or something by the way you know I, I, I've been doing this for a long time maybe the father was, came into play like she's mm-hmm. some kind of phantom or something I, I don't know but the whole, no, the, whole just... the whole beginning part <laughs> I love the fact that Diane Franklin's involved with two things that involve actual Iron Maidens because it has one of those two in this episode <laughs> Oh yeah, uh, not, not not the band, the actual. Oh, I know. Ca- the actual cage with spikes in it, which is awesome. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, that at the bachelor party and then the the little groom topper, that was funny. I like I like that that it came back on the groom topper. Like yeah, this it doesn't again in the context of the episode doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but it was a nice touch that the groom topper was open and had spikes in it. That was awesome. Kind of like to make him feel more guilt. You know, but when you get to, like, the middle of the episode, it, it turns a whole different way. Like, this is where it goes again with the Freddy's Nightmares. It goes a whole other way. It's more, like, about her, which which is fine, you know. Her character being, like, this person who catches cheating men by luring them into hotel rooms and tying them to the bed. 
Which I, 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 I'm sorry. I know. I just had him calling the wife. Yeah, and I, I love uh, I love creepy creepy bootleg uh, Tom Selleck in this episode, just smacking <laughs> his smacking his guts like not too bad for forty, huh? Shit like that. Like he's so fucking sleazy. <laughs> I love that he's so sleazy. Like, yeah, this is the one that she chose, and he's like, like easy pickings. And he's he's in the bar. Like, let's find the girl with the woman with the most clothes on and go after that one. And he pulled it off, and then she put on she put on more clothes. And as she called his wife, which that was gonna come to back to bite her in the ass later on, and it does. You know, and that you should, yeah, these her actions weren't without consequences, or were they? You know, it's. it's but do we know if that actually happened? I don't know. It's it's, it's Freddy's nightmares. You got you got to you got to let let something in for fantasy because you don't know what's a dream or what's reality. And yeah, I think with this episode, if that's part of the question, is like is is the reveal at the end to suggest everything we've seen has been in our head and he's and she's been in the hospital like this whole time and because he he the husband like triggers her every time she looks at him or were there actual things in this episode happening and she slowly went crazy i, I think that's option b on that one because the the part at the end where you 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 see you know that uh, <laughs> bootleg tom Selleck instead of her husband <laughs> she obviously has some kind of interaction with him in, in reality <laughs> i was gonna call him magnum ta but not a lot of folks would get that you know Unless you're, unless you're an old school wrestling person, you know. Mixed in with Joe Piscopo. Oh yeah, a little Piscopo, yeah. perhaps a little sprinkled in. So yeah, I, she 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 went all knock knock on him, exposing his cheating ways. So I think with the end of this episode, mo- most of us, with the exception of the goofy shit with the woman in red, which I think I would have changed the title of this episode. I wouldn't have ca- called the bride wore red. I would have like I would have called like the bride sees red because. She's out for revenge throughout most of this episode, at least half of this episode, and the end is like proof of the pudding that some of this is real, but some of this is not real, and or this is something she's manifested. I don't know. It's Freddy's nightmares, people. It's kind of hard to tell, you know. <laughs> I can't say that it's poorly written. Like I, I can say that it's all over the place, though. So the fact that I have questions about what's going on only. Not that I'll say I rewatch this like three or four times or anything, but only questions, you know, what I think of the episode, and I think my rating is gonna is gonna reflect that. But um, if you want to see an episode of this where they just throw as many scumbag male characters into the running time, this is this is definitely one of them. (laughs) There's some pieces of shit, definitely, man. Oh wow, yeah. <laughs> I think, that, like I said, the male, most of the male, male characters in this episode were just so vile and disgusting, and such caricatures of actual human men. Uh-huh. It, it's sometimes it just that I just got angry. It's to me, it's kind of like why I sympathized with her and actually the husband too, like trying to make the marriage work because it's like you actually found like a decent male in your life. <laughs> like, please let this work out because he's like the only positive male that you've ever come across. <laughs> At least every, from everything about your life that I've learned in this episode. <laughs> yeah. And he seems fairly, de- he seemed devoted to making it work. And, of course, everything has to go off the rails. Yep. Because this is that television program. But, uh... Oh, yeah. And I, I forgot to mention, because sometimes we don't even think to bring up Freddy. Dude, Freddy was like full Crypt Keeper in the in-between segments. <laughs> like I said, from the last segment, he's really coming into, like, I guess, like, in the skin that he's in, I guess, if you want to call it that. But he's... He's really fallen into the to, to the character he's created by being this this host and the freaking it, D, DJ Freddy in this oh, one. Oh, DJ Freddy's amazing! I love it. I was like, <laughs> oh was, shit. <laughs> was it was it me or when when they take the when the friends of the husband take him to the club or the bar or whatever the hell? I, I guess it was a strip club. I don't know, but whoever composed the music for this they loved the song addicted to love but they couldn't license it because oh. it sounded like it sounded like you remember how like in 
in old WCW days, they would like do mock versions of like grunge songs because they probably it was too much to like license the actual song. So the the wrestlers' music would hit, and like the first three chords would sound like smells like Team Spirit or something, and then it would just shift away. That's what it sounded like. The music at this club, like it was addicted to love, but then it had to be just different enough to not get sued. And then the, the second time when they were back, or when I think he was back there, it was the same damn song. I was like, man, they don't they don't have a good rotation at this bar. Man, oh man. Well, the one thing I have to say about the the club called the Ball and Chain, is it me or did it look like somebody at the very last minute who had a piece of paper? and a pencil and wrote and, and made the sign. Yes. I was like, is this like an uh, adult club or is this like a high school prom? Cause, <laughs> and I just like the generic dancing going on was cringe worthy. And uh, yeah, I, that was an interesting bar. Yeah, it was. Uh, I'll tell you right now, I would never be caught dead there. <laughs> yeah. And I, cause I don't even think it was a strip club, but then they just randomly have the woman in red come out and be like, all right, strip. It's like, wait, you can do that? Like, just have someone strip at a normal bar? <laughs> <laughs> Suzanne, anything else? And what do you give it? This one, I, I can see that this, at one point, was a good idea. And some thought went into it. But the there was absolutely no execution for the final product. And it was... I said it was a mixed bag. It was all over the place. Usually you can differentiate between what's fantasy, dream, and what's actually going on. And this one, sometimes skewing the line works. Not in this episode. But I, I just can't straight up hate this episode. So this is this is middle of the road for me. Yeah, yeah it does skew quite a bit there. And I will say it is, like I said, it was all over the place. But in a way I could appreciate Mike, uh, your turn, buddy. Yeah, so, I mean, I thought this episode had some stuff going for it. Diane Franklin is great. I mean, she's a legitimate actress. And and that's the cool thing about some of these old anthologies is, like, you know, you get a lot of, like, people that either did nothing or did very little outside of this. But then a handful of times you're going to come across, like, legitimate, good actors and actresses that just pop up randomly in these episodes. And I thought she was pretty convincing as a character. I sympathized for what was going on with her, even though at times I was confused, (laughs) but um, I think, like I said, I liked a lot of the concepts in this. Uh, I thought it was interesting, but uh, it, at the same time, it felt a little convoluted too. Like they didn't, they didn't have, enough way to kind of like wrap it up or write, write their way out of what they were cornering themselves into. But um, I'm going to say keep it in the boiler room. So it's not the greatest, but not the worst. Cool. Yeah. While we were recording, I, I had confirmation that we're going to talk to Diane Franklin. That's going to be a thing. So yay. Oh, so yeah? I'm sure we'll have, we'll have uh, questions for her about this episode. And uh, you guys will hear all the answers. And, uh, Heck yeah. Hopefully she remembers it. <laughs> and, and, oh, I think she remembers pretty fondly because she has seen her post on her, her timeline recently. So oh, nice. I, I'm interested in hearing what she has to say. So that's, uh, are you, are you going to see her at a convention? Are you interviewing her? Or what? Uh, inter- interviewing her. Yeah. That, that's going to be nice. a thing for this episode. And I'm sure it'd be a full interview. Um, but, um, yeah. So Diane, if you're listening, I, I choose keep it in the boiler room too, which is the, the mid grade of, uh, the, the, this series. And, uh, I, I'd recommend checking it out because it's, it's it's just wacky enough for for me to enjoy. And if you can't hear it, Diane, that's a uh, that's shade making noise again. Just throwing yeah, it out there, okay? <laughs> man, oh man! But that's a uh, wraps this one up, and we're gonna come back after this and close out the show. So this is not as horrorish, but uh, Freddy's Nightmare is horror. You know, yeah. now that we're talking about more horror, uh, which I think you know is exciting. Now, the episode I did. We've been watching these episodes, and they seem kind of disjointed in some parts. Like, they should be, like, two separate episodes. Mm-hmm. Now, I got to ask you the, the, the tough questions. What is the okay. crea- What is the creative process like? You're an episode called The Bride War Red, which we covered on our, our, the latest episode. And uh, what was that creative process like? What was that, that 
that work environment like? What was the the writing process like? I, 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 all these things we all we we, we all want to know. We're uh, we're burning for information here about the show. Okay, all right. So first of all, you're right. It probably should have been done in two episodes. Um, and I think we shot it in like seven days, and it was intense because I'm in most of it and. I mean, most of it in a bizarre way. Like it's my character has so many levels. Um, and so it, it's very somewhat confusing. I would have to say the most disjointed part of it to me was like when we flashback to me as a little girl, like I was like, what is this? I didn't even know that they would like have me wear the costumes and do the and, you know, sh- shoot that aspect of it. Um, it was I mean, I guess because it's a nightmare, you can go anywhere. Uh, So but I didn't realize when we did it, unlike like Summer Girl, you do see me go and look in the mirror and I get all freaked out. Um, In this case, uh, it's sort of like all of a sudden you're going, whoa, like what is (laughs) I mean, you would I think in another way you would have had somebody else like a little kid cast to play me but for me to play little girl is super weird so that's that was only my take of like what's happening but then in the end like oh my gosh the the chainsaw like that to me was super freaky and uh um I just had so many different aspects of it I guess and then it's this it's a very psychological story so there's a lot there's horror with the you know there's horror aspect that it's more of a psychological I guess piece because when you get married, it brings up your family. It, it, and I'm just telling people who are thinking about getting married, it brings up family issues. Um, and I, it could be good or bad, but it will bring it up because – and it's like even when you have kids, it brings your family issue because that's what you know. That's what you're comfortable with. So in this case, the girl had a problem with her dad because I think the dad was unfaithful and – then the the guy had a problem being involved with the girl. I think he felt his freedom was going to be taken away. And so he had the fantasies of being with the prostitute. Um, and so there's I think this episode is definitely very complex and ambitious to have put in an episode of Freddy's Nightmares. We, we had Wouldn't a discussion of like, like, yeah, we discussion about like stuff that was happening in the episode. It's like, yeah, this is Freddy's nightmares. They, they, they could be dreaming all this stuff, like the him dreaming of the woman in red. Because the episode's right. called The Bride Wore Red, but, you know, did, you don't wear red. This is this is woman that they just kind of throw away. It's just kind of, you know. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, I mean, I guess, the, I guess it was titled The Bride. I mean, to me, like, I think that even that title, I think, may have been a callback to something previously, like another something in history, like a filmmaking or something, but the bride wore red is, uh, it's like a sexual thing, you know, is she's not innocent, you know, it's red's a sexual color and a aggressive color. So as opposed to white, which is sort of pure and innocent and there's no history. Um, and I think, you know, it refers to, you know, blood and like, you know, getting, the um, losing your virginity possibly i don't know that it's a it's i think it's it's metaphorical to for a lot of things it's it's really strange because you're we watching no. it. it it's like there's a scene in which you're riding on an exercise bike and he's talking about they haven't we haven't had sex in 13 days or something <gasps> oh all yeah sudden, all of a sudden you guys are like on your honeymoon i was like what the fuck is going on here oh yeah it's you're like, right uh, you're right <laughs> Oh, I forgot. That's so you're right. Like, yeah, like, OK, so yeah, time. You're right. That's right. It's disjointed. All of a sudden time has passed and there's no establishment of time going by. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. That is funny. Oh, I like this. I like your points. Tell me more. <laughs> oh, there's the oh, yeah, my, my points, my co-host points. Like I said, these, these are a lot more fun to talk about than they are to watch. And it's no offense to your performance of the episode. Yeah. It's just some of these are just wacky. And it's more yep. fun. To, it's more fun to talk about, you know, the goofy stuff of the episode than it is to say, you know, because yours, your episode is one of the ones that's actually more cohesive than most. Oh, and, and, and as far as like story goes, because some of these, mm-hmm. they take a tertiary character that you've seen for like two seconds, and they dedicate the whole second part of the episode to them, and like <gasps> it just doesn't. Oh, work. I see what you're saying. Yeah, no, I get it. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I think I, I, and you're asking about the writing process. Well, I'll tell you something. I don't think they gave uh, the series people enough time. And also, I want to tell you something. I never met Freddy Krueger. He was in the sort of the interstitial commercial things where, you know, mm-hmm. he was, you know, they'd cut to him to, to remind the audience, oh, yeah, this is a Freddy's nightmare. But I never worked with him, which was really sad because I really would have loved to because I know Heather Langenkamp and, you know, I know she's obviously, you know, uh, with him. And I also, it's kind of, it's sad that she wasn't involved in it. Um, but I think they wanted to focus on Freddie. You know, it was his property or his, or they were focusing on that. Um, he, he was he on was the property the, he, of, he Freddy was the Cooper. host, you know, yeah. that, like the crypt keeper type character. And yeah, it works really well because the puns are, are plenty. And yeah, that's what, that's, that's right. what you needed a show like this, you know? <laughs> well, you know, you're right, because for TV, honestly, like you got you want to have something scary, but not too scary and making jokes about it and, and making puns. I mean, it is campy. You know, I have to. It, absolutely. It's not like, you know, it's not like Amityville. Amityville is like super duper scary. But I would say like what it's it's like fun, scary. Um, I think it was an entertaining episode, though. Yeah. When we, 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 so we have a lot of fun watching them. And um, I, I, I appreciate them more now than. When I used to watch like the three same three episodes that I can only get on VHS, you know, back in the day, because right, they after a while they just fell out of syndication. They just weren't around anymore. They're not like a, a Tales from the Dark Side that was just still everywhere. Yes, and yeah, you're right. Remember, you know, there was a certain amount of things you could watch on TV, and that was it. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I I like about what you're doing when you talk about like Freddy's Nightmare is because um, nightmares it's because. They, um, you know, um, what is it? Uh, there was a, there's a show on TV that used to talk through films that were like B films, mm-hmm. and um, now my mind it's gone. It's a mystery science right theater, mystery science, yes, mystery science theaters, yeah. yeah. And none of the films that I did they could do that with, and I always wanted that. I always like thought because I like that show, you know. So I was always sort of wanting them to be able to to watch. A, uh, you know, like an episode and then make comments. So mm-hmm. I'm glad you could do it with this because I think to me, like, you know, it really has to do with your mood when you watch something. Sometimes you want to watch something that's really deep, something intense. Sometimes you want to watch something really goofy. Uh, and I just think that when you're relaxing at the end of the day, you may not want to watch something intense. And so I love the fact that you, you know, are commenting on Freddy's Nightmares. If you enjoyed this show, then make sure you check out the other great shows on the Legion Podcast Network, like Cinema PsyOps, Cinema Beef, Devour the Podcast, Duncan and Bo Come Correct, Exploding Heads Horror Movie Podcast, Friday the 13th, Get Slayed, The Hell Ming Power Hour, Hello, This is the Doom Show, Hero Hero Ghost Show, Kill the Cast, Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space, Jerry Hates Action, Legion After Dark, Metal Health, Obsessive Cinema, Discourse, Pick Six Movies, The Podcast by the Cemetery, The Podcast on Haunted Hill, The Psycho Semantic Podcast, Rick Radio, House of Wax, Dude Looks Like the 80s, Rabbit and Red Radio, The Shadecast, Short Bus Cinema, Two Drink Minimum Commentaries, The VD Clinic, Who Will Survive Horror Podcast, and Witch vs. the Doomsday Clock. With such a widespread of shows, there is guaranteed to be a niche for you to fall in love with. Horror, politics, movies, books, sex, music, commentaries, health, video games, kaiju, action, news, comedy, and opinions that would most likely get you killed in some parts of the world. We are proud to bring you some of the best podcasting in the world. Check us out at www.legionpodcast.com, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, and any other dark corner of the internet where podcasts can be found. Next episode, people. Uh, <laughs> Michael DeLuca's back writing this episode, so you know it's going to be super, super good. An episode mm-hmm. called Do Dreams Bleed that involves somebody called the Springwood Chopper. I'm not sure if Freddy makes an appearance. I couldn't tell you for sure. In, uh, in an episode sense, not as far as like the host goes. He's in all these as a host. And uh, episode 12 is... Uh, <laughs> it seems like a real butterfly effect episode... Called the end of the world. It, the, the, from the plot, that's what it sounds like to me. Though the plot sounds like a damn Twilight episode or Twilight Zone episode. It does. It does. And yeah, we're getting we're getting all that crazy mess. Uh, episode six of Burning for Springwood. Um, <laughs> it's been fun, guys. Mike, tell the folks where they can find you. 
All right. Well, um, I've been on I, I've been on a mini hiatus, not on, uh, just because of the vacation, but I'm back into it now. So uh, as far as new stuff, the the current new episode I have out is uh, Fresh Cuts. We did that on um, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. It was me and Venom, of course, and we had Derek, Dubby, and Becca from Becca's from In the Mic of Madness which is a cool show. If no one's heard of that, check that one out. Um, we should be recording a new Theme Warriors and a new episode of No More Room in Hell pretty much within the week's time. So look for those on Horrorphilia. Cool. Suzanne? Uh, you can find me on the NFW podcast. That is on Horrorphilia. And we are finishing up our Sharks and Sea Monsters Summer Extravaganza. So look for Sharknado, Ghost Shark, and a few other gems thrown in just for good measure. No baby sharks, just on your rings, okay? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The show at the Cinevive Podcast can both be found on the same feed on LegionPodcast.com, along with the two drink minimum commentaries. Fleas and Flicks charity auction. Of course, check that out. I got the event page up. That's uh, on and popping. Second week of December. Second weekend of December. Um, actually, listen. I'm glad we're getting good response from this show, and uh, makes uh makes my heart feel good that we're watching bad television so you guys can enjoy our misery. Uh, <laughs> I'll leave it at that, and uh, leave it at this, and say we'll see you all again in the boiler room. Bye bye now. Bye. Well, now Frankie and Johnny were sweethearts. They were true as a blue blue sky. He was a long-legged guitar picker with a wicked wandering eye, but he was her man nearly all of the time. Well, Johnny, he packed up to leave her, but he promised he'd be back. He said he had a little picking to do, a little farther down the track. He said, I'm your man. I wouldn't do you wrong. Well, Frankie curled up on the sofa, thinking about her man. Far away the couples were dancing to the music of his band. He was Frankie's man. He wasn't doing her wrong. Then in the front door walked a redhead. Johnny saw her right away. She came down by the bandstand to watch him while he played. He was Frankie's man. But she was far away. He sang every song to the redhead She smiled back at him Then he came and sat at her table Where the lights were low and dim What Frankie didn't know Wouldn't hurt her none Then the redhead jumped up and slapped him She slapped him a time or two She said, I'm Frankie's sister And I was checking up on you If you're her man, you better treat her right Well, the moral of this story Is be good but carry a stick Sometimes it looks like a guitar picker Just can't tell what to pick He was Frankie's man And he still ain't done